It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. So we know that a war on drugs criminalizes drug use. And when we criminalize addicts, we isolate them and lessen the likelihood of them ever seeking treatment and therefore make it less likely for them ever to recover. Thankfully, a Canadian criminal justice reform bill enacted earlier this month aims to address the overrepresentation of marginalized communities in the Canadian prison system, such as those struggling with addiction. Now, Canadians with a drug offense won't be treated as if they're criminals with a drug problem, but instead as people with an addiction problem. It's color 26 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hey. How's it going? I'm like a terrible public speaker and stuff. I know this isn't the same, but I'm always like a bundle of nerves. (laughs) Well, keep in mind right now, it's just a conversation between you and I, and I'm not judging. And even if I were, I don't know you. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate that. With that in mind, no names, no addresses. Okay. And you'll have a maximum of an hour. Okay, cool. So tell me your story about addiction. Okay. So really it started with to back all the way up to childhood. I can't say my childhood was terrible. I came from, I'm the daughter of a lawyer and whether it was like a Barbie or an Xbox or a computer, my dad spoiled me rotten. My mom was very emotionally distant and she still is, but I can't say I was abused you know, but I do have two older brothers who would always get in trouble. So I think I was like a really lonely kid. Like I was the only one doing good in school. So nobody had to pay attention to me as much. And now that I'm older, I feel like that kind of manifested itself as I like got older, but I didn't realize it. But like I said, my brothers were always getting in trouble. So it wasn't any big surprise when I started to smoke pot with them at like 11 or 12. It was really my middle brother who I started to run around and do dumb stuff with. And then when I turned 13 and 14, that's kind of when my mental health hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. And of course, being that age, you don't know what's going on. And in my circumstance, I didn't have anyone else who knew what was going on to explain it to me. So that that age was probably the roughest time of my life. I'm sure it's not easy for anyone, but it was um, super difficult. So the the first thing that I really have a strong memory about that I actually thought about today, I am as dumb as it is. I used to take Robitussin all the time with my older brother. Like we called it robo tripping. So when we couldn't get like pie or any sort of pills, we would just take a bunch of Robitussin and it's like a really big disassociative, but 
um, there was one night that he was home. I was living with my mom and he was at home and I was doing Robitussin in like my bedroom. Unbeknownst to me, who was on Wellbutrin at the time, you shouldn't really take those things together. So I'm in my bedroom and 13 or 14 at this point in my bedroom and I just keep waking up on the floor and I don't know what's going on. So I I wake up and somebody has a paper towel over my face and I hear my mom scream to the side of me, oh my God, she's having seizures. And then I wake up in this metal box and I'm totally strapped down. I guess all I could move is one arm because I had these two grown ass men over me screaming at me not to move my arm and I'm sobbing because I I didn't interpret it at the time as an ambulance I'd never been in the back of one so it was just all very foreign and scary and really the part that hurts my heart is I remember being wheeled into the hospital with my mom by my side like being wheeled through on a stretcher and I'm yelling at her I don't want to die and she's telling me you're not going to die you're not going to die so and then I wake up and they're um, stitching my lip shut because apparently I had had a seizure going down the stairs bit through my lip fun stuff um had to drink the charcoal um I think I was only there for like a night but I cared so little about myself even at that young age that like that didn't really phase me after that I ended up in a mental hospital and that was littered all throughout my teenage years I was constantly in and out of mental hospitals for either self-harm or for drugs or a combination of the two my parents were both at their wit's end didn't know what to do with me um going I went to five different high schools because I kept getting in trouble and I bounced back and forth between my parents because I was just a wild child and they could not handle me and so a couple of years goes by I drop out of high school I'm doing absolutely terrible um nothing legally had happened yet because I was just a lucky kid I guess with as much havoc as I caused so I end up at 18 and I have my first apartment with my middle brother who I started to do drugs with and we're both strung out on opiates at the time we started to do um, oxycodon 80s together and then that just graduated to heroin because it was easier to get a hold of at that point and I met a guy and he like moved into my apartment the first night after I met him and it was very strange but we eventually started to do cocaine together we started doing opiates and it was harder to find but he knew a guy who dealt cocaine so we would drive to the major city and spend all of our money and just got horribly strung out and um, I eventually got evicted from that apartment all my money was just going to drugs um, with this guy doing a lot of cocaine and eventually his dad somehow figures out where I live and comes to get him because they want to help him I guess they hadn't heard from him in forever and so a couple of days after that I ended up getting arrested I was at my apartment and the boyfriend at the time was with his dad. He was waiting to go to rehab and I was on the phone with the ex-boyfriend and I started to have seizures and I don't, 
I don't know what happened to me that night, but I know I lost like control of some of my muscles. Like as embarrassing as it was, I was like wetting myself because I just couldn't control it. Just very bizarre. So he hears me on the phone having seizures and he sends an ambulance to my apartment. And I don't remember too much, but I do remember going to jail after they took me to the hospital for overdosing. And I guess in my stupor, I had let them in and they found paraphernalia in my apartment, searched everything. So I end up going to jail for three months and not like I'm a hardened felon or anything. It was just three months, but I do remember sitting in jail and of course, like everyone goes to jail. They're like, oh my God, I'm never going to do this again. I just need to get out, blah, blah, blah. And at some point, I really thought it was my rock bottom. I truly believe that. And then I think, I don't know, after about a month, it was just like, oh, well, I've been in here so long. All I want to do is go out and do drugs again. Like, my rock bottom had an expiration date, and I had passed it still in jail. So it, like, really revved me up to not give a fuck anymore. So eventually, like I said, my dad's a lawyer. Luckily, I get out of jail um, and I'm out on bond. And I met up with that guy, the ex-boyfriend who had gotten out of rehab at the same time. And we were okay for a while. And I, I really thought this guy was like love of my life. Like I could not live without him. And I think it was because our relationship was so chaotic and so codependent that like I just didn't there was no point in living without this guy. So eventually my dad puts me in a halfway house and that's one of my bond conditions is to continue like doing what they recommend for me to do, which was go to treatment, go to a halfway house. So I end up in a halfway house and still doing good sober for a few months at this point. And I'm with him and um, this sounds so crazy to me. So I'm with him in a somewhat large city and he's in my car and he tells me you're taking to get me drugs or I'm jumping out of this car and you're never going to see me again. I'm like, what? No, we can't do that. Like I'm in a halfway house. I'm sober. We can't do that. And he was just berating me and berating me to take him to get drugs or he was going to just jump out of the car on this busy road. So I tell him no, and he he literally jumps out of the car going to like 45 miles an hour. So I hang a right into the closest parking lot, and I'm pleading with him, like, what are you doing? Don't do this. Like, where are you even going to go? And so he starts to walk into traffic, like, backwards. He can't see who's coming. People are flying 50 right behind him. And... I'm a very short person. I'm five feet tall and he was like six, three. So I, I have him by his jacket hood and I'm trying to pull him to the sidewalk while he's pulling against me and cars are flying around us honking. And he finally gets out of the road. Somebody had called the police and that was my moment to be like, I need to walk away. Like, please take him out of here. But, of course, I didn't do that. The cop just, like, made sure, like, you guys good? You just arguing, blah, blah, blah. And we convinced him it was okay. So, after all the berating, it didn't take much convincing to go do drugs again. So, 
we get high and we go back to the room at my halfway house because they would always knock before they came in. So I was being dumb enough to be like, okay, maybe he can sneak out before I get in trouble. Even though we got drug tests, so I was definitely going to get in trouble. I don't know what I was thinking, but he sneaks out in the morning and we're still doing drugs and we go to his mom's house who's like on disability. She can't work for health problems. He steals, I don't know, like $700 from her and we go to get more drugs. So we're high. It's been days and I get very sentimental when I'm on drugs. Like it's like drugs get me to a point where I have this epiphany about how I need to live my life, how I need to act, what I need to do with myself. But unfortunately you don't stay high forever. So that doesn't last forever. So we're very high. And I tell him like, dude, you got to tell your mom you stole this money. Like we can't just steal money and run around here like lunatics. So um, he tells her after some convincing and she freaks out understandably and the cops get involved. And the last time I really saw him, the cops had called me and we were in the next major city and he just jumped out of the car and took off into the night. I never saw him again after that. His mom was on the phone with me while the police were calling me, telling me you got to find him. Um, I'm sure he turned up a couple of days later. I know he's alive and well these days, but I don't, I don't know what happened with him that night. So at that point in the night, my halfway house spot had blown up because I hadn't been back in days and you can't just come and go as you please. So get my shit, go to my father's house north of the city. And in some sort of psychosis-induced frenzy, I guess, I decide, like, oh, well, now I just need to kill myself. Like, I just fucked all this up. I'm going back to jail. Like, there is nothing left for me now. So I've been on one of those trips where I've just, like, used because I think I fucked everything up. Right. And then I use and realize that I've really fucked everything up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And on the crash or come down, it's really hard to sort out all your thoughts. Yeah. So can you describe how that all went down for you? Yeah, absolutely. The situation was definitely getting out of control and we have been up for a few days and that never helped. So it honestly just felt like there's nothing else I could do other than just kill myself. Like I had fucked everything up so terribly my mind wasn't working right my thoughts were sporadic um getting kicked out of the halfway house I was scared I was going to go back to jail because of that and I had just lost the one person I couldn't live without so there was just like no other option and it's just like an overwhelming sense of like dread and like I can never come back from this and I just took a bunch of pills, um, my mental health medication. So I ended up in the hospital and was there for a few days, go to the psych hospital again for probably about the seventh or eighth time at that point and get out, go to my dad's house and everything's calm for a while. Um, still out on bond. That issue had not resolved yet. Hadn't been back to court and it was really just like years of me just constantly doing drugs and somehow getting away with it. 
I have no good memories of like my late teens and early 20s. It was all just shrouded in terrible things. So eventually I start doing meth more. I start doing heroin more and that becomes my MO. Start to use needles and I don't go back after that. And I end up in an apartment in a different town, a little closer to the city than my dad's house was. So one day I'm laying on my couch and somebody knocks on my apartment door. I'm still new to the complex, don't know anyone. And this guy asked me out to dinner. I guess he had seen me walking my dog or something. So we were neighbors. So he asked me out to dinner and we went out and it was pretty good. I felt like he like gave me purpose in life at that point. I just kind of felt like a shell. Like all I'd been doing with my life was doing drugs. So it was the only thing I was good at. So finding someone to focus all the time. Um, all my time to them instead of thinking about myself was a much needed reprieve. Um, and I actually, I actually stopped doing drugs for the most part, but turns out he was kind of crazy. So it got very like physically abusive. Like he used to hold me down and like cut his arms in front of me. And so we date about six months. I end up pregnant and Eventually, the cops get called on him. He puts my head through a wall, and then I run to the apartment complex office to try and call my dad for help because he had broken my cell phone. And so the cops got called that first time, and that's when everyone knew, like, oh, my God, this is why she's had bruises on her face when she's been with this guy the whole time. I had begged my dad, who, again, is a lawyer, after he went to jail He figured out that my ex had gotten out and was back in my apartment. So begging and pleading with my dad not to call the cops. I didn't want to be pregnant alone. I had nothing. He didn't let me work. I didn't have any money. He didn't even let me wear, like, makeup out of the house. So it was just a very emotionally and physically abusive relationship. So eventually he gets arrested for the second time, and he doesn't come back to me after that. I had had enough. but. I had to make the decision to have an abortion, which is hard for me to talk about because you never know how people are going to feel about you after that, whether people are going to think you're a monster. But it really sucked because I was pregnant and I wanted my daughter, but I had I had nothing. Like, I wasn't even a whole person after he had gone to jail the second time, I had done mess again. So I was pregnant and I did mess. And how could I have a baby that I just fucked up and know I did that for the rest of my life, you know? So long story short, that, that, um, that still fucks with me that I had to have an abortion. I'm sure other people have them under different circumstances, but that's just always stuck with me. So after that, it got really bad, and uh, my dad let me come back to his house at that point, um, and I just resumed getting fucked up again. So um, at that point, the court case had resolved, and they gave me five years of felony probation. I escaped two years of prison time with time served for that three months in jail. So I could officially get fucked up again and not have to take drug tests, which was nice. So just a lot of years of driving downtown to the bad part of the city, getting drugs, 
somehow making it back home. And so I think when I was about 25, I'm 31 now, there's a big music festival in my town. So I go and I'm still actively doing drugs at the time. And I go with this guy I went to high school with. And while I was at the music festival, we end up going to get um, heroin and cocaine. So we were fucked up going. I was drinking all day. So we get back to his place. I have very sporadic memories of this, but we get back to his place and I remember walking in, but it's kind of a blackout from then. And I am awoken to a phone call. There's this guy I started seeing while this was going on. I woke up to a phone call from the guy and he was like, Oh, you got to get the fuck out of there. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like seven in the morning. I'm like, what is going on? So apparently I had left him a voicemail on his phone of me essentially getting raped by this guy. So I bolted out of there, grabbed all my shit, drove back to my dad's house to go home. And I think, Something in me also clicked at that point. Like, I feel like at that point, my life has been probably a self-induced series of tragedies, but that also fucked with me pretty heavy after the abortion. So, um, after I got home from that, it's just like a blur. Like, I know I spent a week asleep in bed. I know I went and got heroin because I found the needles when I would wake up to like go to the bathroom, but I just spent a week like knocked out in bed. And so that happened. And my dad told me like, look, you have to go to rehab or I'm taking you down to your mother's house in Florida. She had moved further south at that point. And so we're on the way to rehab and I'm like, dad, I don't want to go. Like, just take me down to mom's house. So I go down to mom's house and I try to just white knuckle it while I'm down there. And it's a terrible idea. So she had told me a lot just in talking over the years that her neighbors were like crackheads. So Eventually, there was one night I snuck out of her house at like three in the morning. The neighbors were outside. So that was the first time I smoked crack. I just walked up to some guy in the middle of the freaking night. And I'm like, hey, you guys holding? And so I end up in there, what essentially is a crack house. It looks like a hoarder house. People are in and out all the time. So I'm in a back bedroom. And... I remember smoking crack and I don't remember how my shirt got off, but I do remember that guy had his hand around my neck and was like, Oh, I could do something right now, but I'm not that kind of guy. And I, I don't know. It's just weird how like fragile the situations are that you put yourself in. Cause that could have been another really, really bad night. So I sneak back into my mom's house. Luckily, nothing very bad happened to me in that situation. So I sneak back into my mom's house and over the course of the week, I get a heroin from the neighbors. I'm back doing the same old shit after like 10 years of being on the hamster wheel of doing drugs. And my dad comes to get me from Florida and we go back home and I'm detoxing the whole time. I'm shaking, I'm sweating, I'm hot and freezing. 
I'm in and out. My dad probably knew, but he didn't say anything at the time. And we get home, things still go terrible for a while, and I'm doing a lot of meth and heroin, and it came to a head, and I just made peace with the fact that, like, I was just going to fucking die. I know I'd spent so many years with so many doctors and therapists and people telling me, like, you're so reckless, you're going to die. You're going to die before you're 30. And I always thought that was so overdramatic because I'm like, hey, I'm a young kid. I'm invincible. I've survived all these things. I've survived overdosing. I've survived self-harm. I've survived sexual assault. You people are being overdramatic. So at some point, I just really made peace with it. Like just after being so fucked for so many years, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to die. Like, I know this is going to kill me. The fact that I'm not dead already is a shock. So I go to rehab the final time. I had been about probably about 15 times by the time I was like in my mid-20s. And would you say any of those previous times were legit tries or were you just waiting to go back out and use? Yeah. Um, there were sometimes I felt like I could give it the good college try, I guess, but there were never times of any significant sobriety. I just like, I cared about myself so little that I'd be like, Ugh, being clean sounds all right, but I never put in the action to actually do it and take care of myself. So last time I went to rehab and it was just significant just because like, I just, I didn't even, ha I didn't even like care. I didn't have this like storm of emotion inside me. I just like knew I was going to die. Like my life was going to end soon. And I had just made peace with it. And so my dad is very active in that day when he kind of distanced himself from me for a lot of years. Um, but I called him a lot while I was there. And they were going to let me go. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to die. I'm going to go out, get fucked up, fuck this shit. So they, for whatever reason, even though I was a grown-ass adult, they would not let me leave without an appointment to go somewhere else to do something. I, know, I remember my doctor at the rehab saying to me, like, you've been here 15 times. Like, you really think you're going to go out and try to do AA again? Has it worked any of the other times you've been here? So they made me schedule an appointment to go somewhere, and I get out of the inpatient rehab immediately fucked up. So I'm on mess. I've been up for days, and this appointment comes up, and um, my dad was supposed to go with me. And as much as my dad distanced himself from me, he's been the only constant in my life that's been there through like the ups and downs. So like I said, I knew I was going to die anyway. So I was like, okay, let me just go to this appointment. Like, let me not disappoint dad one more time. Like I can just go. It doesn't, I don't have to commit to anything. I don't have to do anything. I was like, fine, all right. If I need to come here for three hours every Thursday and Tuesday night, what the fuck ever, it'll at least make my dad feel better that I'm going. So start going. And I have done outpatient rehab before, but not in a place like I was at. It was 
kind of holistic almost. It wasn't based on a 12-step program, which no hate to anyone who that helps. I've just always struggled with the higher power thing, so it's never really stuck for me. So they drug test you at this outpatient place, of course. And after a while, I noticed, like, I didn't get fucked up for a week. And I didn't get fucked up for another week. And another week after that. So it was good for me. And it was strange how that was the one that stuck. But we did stuff like Tai Chi and yoga and, of course, like group therapy and stuff like that. And I honestly don't believe there's rock bottoms because, like, I've been through so much in my life that I've hated myself for. I can always hate myself a little bit more. And aim to do a little worse, like jail wasn't my rock bottom, like overdosing at 13 or 14 when I was in the hospital wasn't a rock bottom. And even for like a kid, I just don't believe in it. Like the worse you do, the more you hate yourself, the more you hate yourself, the worse you do. And it's just a spiral all the way down. Change the channel on your thinking with Melissa Armstrong coaching. Go to strongarm.ca for more. That saying, rock bottom, literally comes from the bottom of a crack rock. And so obviously you're familiar with the fact that when you're smoking meth from a pipe, realistically, you can just keep smoking it. It just keeps going. Yeah. So like you said, maybe in reality, there is no rock bottom. No, I I don't believe so. And I'm part of like recovery groups on social media. And I I said my spiel about no rock bottoms, at least not for me. I'm sure other people get jarred, but at least not for me. And somebody said, well, disappointing your dad must have been your rock bottom. And I was like, dude, if disappointing my dad was my rock bottom, I would have not done drugs this whole time. But anyway, so the guy who had called me after I'd been sexually assaulted after the music festival. And so after I get out of rehab for the final time, we reconnected and he was just like, he was there for me the whole time. And the amazing thing is when I met him, he had been sober for a year or two. He was a meth addict and I'm very grateful that he saw me go to rehab and as someone who had been sober for a while decided to date someone who was like one fucking day sober which is terrifying I'm sure um so we reconnected and as I got sober things got better I feel like I had like value in myself which I've never felt my entire life but the really turning point where I thought I would be okay in life was um I'd been sober for a couple of years and I decided to get my GED. I dropped out of high school. Um, and I've, I've always been real interested in art. I've always drawn and painted and all that stuff. So I get my GED. I go to a shitty college, but, um, I go there for, to this college for about a year or two. I'm there for a while, still with the same guy. Things are stable, doing good. And I get straight A's. And I decided to go to like my dream school. It's like the like the art school to go to in my region of the US. So eventually I get into that school and I know that that's not like a big deal for a lot of people, I think, especially people who 
did what they were supposed to do at 18 and went to college. Um, but I was in my mid twenties at the time and I'd just gotten into that school and I just broke down and I cried and it, um, cheers me up now, but it's just like, it is incredible what we're all capable of in life and how much we can turn things around. That showed me a lot in life. And so I did that, went to that school, literally hardest thing I've ever done. Um, college, definitely a nice college, knocked me on my ass with how much work um, that was required to go to school. So I was there for, I was there for about four years. Not many of my credits transferred from the crappy college to the good college. And at some point, right before I graduated, I married the guy who had called me on the phone the next morning. And I've, we've been married for almost three years now. And honestly, Life is just so good. Like nothing crazy happens. I'm not sitting alone in a room, like cutting myself or shooting up heroin. Like I'm just good. I have a great job. I've got three dogs. I have a husband. I just bought a new car. I've never had a new car. It's just like crazy what is possible in life. And it honestly breaks my heart when I hear people who have like relapsed and passed away like it is not fair to me that there are people out there who have been through the same shit I've been through and don't get to see the other side of it I feel like that's one of the great injustices of the world you know what I mean like I don't know I'm rambling now I'm sorry (laughs) no if you thought you were bad at this it turns out you're pretty good oh thank you it's just weird because I was telling my husband this today I'm like Nobody has ever asked me what happened in life. Like, nobody has ever been like, hey, how did these years go for you? I'm like, I feel like it's going to be kind of cathartic. Like, literally nobody's ever asked. (laughs) When a person finally frees themselves from codependency, they open up a world of possibilities. Because whether it's a family member, substance, significant other, or even just an absence of self-worth, we can become addicted to abuse. We become content in that darkness. When we finally free ourselves from those constraints, we become free to finally choose our own path. For this caller, it was a new lease on her education and a sense of accomplishment otherwise lost over decades. But here's the thing about that darkness, about allowing external factors to dictate our lives. It can be blinding. It can be disorienting. It can be downright debilitating. But one thing it's not is a measurement of how much we can grow. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by... Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.